0: Hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. Today, we are talking about the markets, the economy, a little bit about asset allocation and what worries me. For followers of the market, it seems to me like we've had a subtle change here the last few days where investors are paying more attention to earnings rather than geopolitical concerns. I think that's great because so far, earnings have been pretty darn good, and I think they've been overlooked somewhat. I've mentioned before that at the beginning of the year, analysts were expecting earnings to grow at about 13% for the first quarter. And as time went on and we had more insight to the benefits of the tax changes, those estimates rose to almost 18%. I know it's early, but if earnings announcements keep tracking the way they are, we could very well get close to 20% earnings growth for the quarter. That's spectacular. What's very apparent is this is not your 2017 smooth type of ride market. No, no. So far this year, we've already had 28 days with more than a 1% swing and a top-to-bottom move of around 11%. These swings have taken a toll on some investors. The sentiment numbers have basically reset. Now, to refresh your memory, I look at the investor polls as contrary indicators, kind of like George Costanza. You do the opposite of what they say. The AAII, that's the American Association of Individual Investors, the AAII, they do a poll every week, and the numbers last week showed 32% bulls and 36.6% bears, so pretty close to even, but this last reading was the bulls at 26% and the bears at nearly 43%. That's a big pickup in pessimism. Usually when you have twice as many bears as bulls, that's pretty positive for the market. We're getting close to that ratio, two to one. That's in contrast to last year where the maximum drawdown was less than 3% all year long. We had incredibly low volatility and really investors had forgotten what it's like to see the market go down. But the reality is Over the last 100 years, on average, the market has declined by 3% or more every 22 days. I think volatility is going to hang around for a while. So, I suspect that we'll have a bumpy ride, but ultimately, we'll end up higher than where we started the year at. Yes, there are a lot of things that could go wrong but that's why you should own good quality companies run by good managers who are acting on the shareholders behalf. And you should give yourself a margin of safety when you buy them. Now, I'm not a macro economist. I don't even play one on TV, but it doesn't take one to figure out the U.S. economy looks to be in good shape. Unemployment is at a 17, 18-year low, Real household and disposable income has moved to all-time highs, and individual debt service levels are down. That's the money you pay towards mortgages, car loans, and credit cards, and part of that is because of the low interest rates. Thus, when income is up and debt service is down, people start feeling pretty good about themselves and their situation. You already know that consumer spending accounts for about 70% of GDP. And it's generally a source of stability for the economy. So that's good. Since January 1st of 2013, real spending is up nearly 15%. Or if you annualize that out, that's about two and three quarter percent a year. That's pretty fantastic too. People are spending almost 3% more every year for the last five years. Obviously, this is going to show up in the consumer confidence numbers. They've been rising over the last five years, and we're about as high as we've been in the last 10 years. Even new households are being formed. The millennials are moving out of the basement, and they're starting to buy houses. And that's why I like people like D.R. Horton, symbol D-H-I, and Low symbol L-O-W, which I've talked about on previous shows. It doesn't appear, at least to me, that we're overbuilding at the moment, but we'll probably eventually get there. It's a boomer bust type industry. I see lots of building going on. But again, from a historical perspective, we still aren't anywhere near excessive levels. Interest rates are low. And if interest rates are low, that's got to mean inflation is low. And it is. It's sitting around 2.2%. All of these good things aren't just happening here. We're seeing it around the world. We have what they're calling global synchronized growth. And I could go on and on with all the good stuff, but I won't. Let's just say things are pretty darn good. I'll tell you that the conditions that have driven this bull market are still in place. And I think they're likely to stay that way for the coming year. With that said, I also fully expect at some point later this year to become even more conservative. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, I'll tell you about some of the things I worry about. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We'll be back in just a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you, and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. Before we get going here, got one housekeeping item. I just want to thank everyone who came out to the event last night. We had a party over in Rockville at a place called Viz Arts. We had some yummy food, delicious drinks, and a fantastic speaker in Rudy Maxa, who entertained us with travel tips and some of his stories of traveling around the world. And uh, Rudy does a PBS travel show. So if you get a chance, you might want to take a look at that. So thanks, for every, uh, everyone, for coming out. If you want to learn more about us, you can visit xmlfg.com. Once again, it's xmlfg.com. Now, before we went to the break, we are talking a little bit about the markets and the economy. Let me tell you some of the things I worry about. The obvious one is the valuation of the market, but I'm also concerned about rising interest rates and inflation. Let's talk about interest rates first. Since the great financial crisis, central banks around the world have been in panic mode. They've cut interest rates down to diddly squat, which basically is nothing, and they've done that to encourage spending and investment. They've purchased all kinds of securities, the good ones and the bad ones, and they've expanded their balance sheets. Basically, what they've done is they've created a whole bunch of free money. Now, the pendulum is starting to swing in the other direction. Rates are on the rise, and their balance sheets are shrinking. We're trying to get back to normal. And why is that concerning? Remember, your investment dollars are always looking for their best alternative. You have a choice. Yes, you have a choice you can buy a relatively low risk cd and get 1% or or you can do what's behind door number 2 you can take the risk of being in stocks and get say i don't know 7% well most people are going to step up and take the risk because they realize they can't retire on a 1% type of return but as rates increase now you can go out and buy a, say, a 2 or 3% CD versus maybe 6 or 7% in stocks. Then the choice isn't so clear for some folks. So as rates go up, the alternative to stocks become more competitive. It may take a while for that competition to heat up, but we're headed in that direction. There's also a fair chance that the Fed makes a monetary policy mistake. Monetary policy is a rather blunt instrument. If the economy heats up, they want to raise rates to keep it from overheating, but they don't want to raise them too much and choke off the growth that we have. It's a very fine line. Historically, when the Fed starts getting really aggressive with rates, well, recession isn't that far behind. I really think that's a later 2019, maybe 2020 type of thing, but let's keep our eyes on interest rates and the Fed's response to the economy. A real wild card that could derail things is inflation. Most people think that's crazy talk because eh, we don't really have any. As I said before, we're sitting around eh, 2.2% as far as inflation is concerned. Inflation can creep up in a number of ways, but let me talk about two now. One is through wages. Economic theory assumes that price pressures build as an economy moves closer to full employment, and I think we're getting near that point. Right now, the unemployment rate is at 4.1%, and I think it's getting close to full employment. As the labor market tightens, Wages go up as employers compete for employees. So, the historical evidence suggests that once the labor market becomes tight and we reach full employment, well, then wage inflation eventually accelerate, accelerates. We haven't seen it yet, but I think it's starting to creep in. Another inflation factor is oil. Oil's moved off its low since the middle of last year to where it's almost 50% higher now. That represents an increased cost to both consumers and businesses. Think higher gas prices, bigger heating bills, all the products that use petroleum in their production. You get it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not calling for a dramatic acceleration in either wage growth or inflation, but enough to convince the Fed that it needs to carry on with its plan to raise interest rates, which means more competition for stocks. Let's talk about valuations. If you talk to most people, they'd probably tell you that stocks are overvalued or they're worried. And I think that they are overvalued. But a lot of that is because I'm a value investor. And hey, I'm just cheap, especially when it comes to the market. I don't like paying a whole lot for great companies. Kind of a hard thing to do, but I'm cheap. When I look at the price to earnings ratio of the market, I'd say, yes, it is expensive, but not egregiously so, especially when you consider where interest rates are right now. People are willing to pay more for stocks because there really isn't an other viable alternative. Let's talk about how to position or how to think about positioning ourselves for the future in our newfound volatility world. The first thing you need to do, and I've talked about this time and time again, but the first thing you need to do is spend some time coming up with a serious retirement plan and then truly commit to an asset allocation. And when I say asset allocation, I'm talking about stocks, bonds, and cash. This is something we're committed to here at XML. If you're going to build a house, the first thing you do is get a set of blueprints. You don't go out and just start nailing boards together. No, you get blueprints. If you decide that you're going to challenge yourself and run a marathon, well, then you develop a training schedule. When you invest, you need to have an idea of what types of returns you need to achieve, and then you build a portfolio around that plan. The goal can't just be to have more money. If you want to do that? Well, then go to Vegas, put it on a roll of the dice or a spin of the wheel the goal can't just be to have more money. It's very difficult to tell you how much to have in each asset class, the stocks, the cash, the bonds, because everyone's different. We all have different goals. We have different risk tolerances, and so on and so on. If you don't need to take a great deal of risk, well, then you probably shouldn't. Most investors don't need to achieve an 8 or 10% type of return in order to achieve their goals. And I can imagine that just trying to average 8% is going to be very tough over the next 5 or 10 years because of where current valuations are. So if you can call down the amount of risk you're taking, it probably makes sense. But you're really not going to know how much risk you need to assume until you've done the planning turn the invisible into the visible the goal should be meeting or exceeding the plan that you have in place that's what i believe is going to pay off for you over the long haul i'm not going to talk about how much to have in small caps large caps emerging markets etc i want you to think a bit broader here cash stocks and bonds that's what i want you to think about first let's talk about cash i always like having some cash, and that's for a number of reasons. How much cash you have is going to depend on your specific situation and your comfort level. My hope is to always give you at least one concrete idea, one concrete idea that you can take away from the show and use after you've done your research, of course. And as it turns out, it just may be on the cash side of the portfolio. There is an this is an area most of us have neglected over the last several years. If you remember back to the financial crisis, money markets went to basically yielding nothing. And then we got kind of accustomed to it, didn't we? During that time, back in 2009 or so, during that time, I got a lot of calls from people asking me where they should put their cash so that they earn something on it. And at that time, it didn't make a lot of sense for folks to swap banks or, or money markets just for an extra one or two basis points. It really didn't seem like it was worth the trouble trouble. Now it's a little different. As the Fed has been raising short term rates, some of the alternatives may look more attractive to you now. If you have a portfolio with 10% cash, you may want to look at something like a, I don't know, a three month CD for some of that cash and pick up some extra yield. Now, you won't get rich, but think about it. I'll use round numbers here. If you have a million-dollar portfolio and you have a 10% cash position, well, you have $100,000 in cash. If you're in a money market and it's paying you, say, a third of a percent or 30 basis points, well, then you're getting $300 a year in income. If you can take that money and you can get, well, let's say we pick up an extra percent. So you're getting 1.3% in short-term safe type CD stuff. Well, you're getting $1,300 now. That's basically $1,000 a year more. I'll take that. Look at what you're getting on your cash and look at alternatives for it. Let's talk about stocks. I would generally like to have more equity exposure than some of the old rules of thumbs would have it. One reason is because we're living longer and we're going to need more money in retirement. And another reason is that rates are on the rise. And I'll talk about that in a minute. I think the bulk of an equity portfolio should be in core type holdings. Those are the high quality companies you buy with the intent of holding forever. You're not going to trade them. You're not going to buy them and then sell them a day later because you made a dollar off of them or something. No, you may do some pruning or planning, but you're not trading them. I would say maybe 60% of your stock portfolio should be in core holdings. The rest, be in what I call longer term trades. These are businesses that are more cyclical in nature, like the home builders and uh, the energy patch, both of which I like right now. These type of cyclical businesses go through boom and bust cycles. So there are times you buy them and then times, well, you shouldn't buy them. With the economy pointed in the right direction, the cyclicals make more sense than the staples right now. Bonds. Wisdom has it that as interest rates rise, bond prices should theoretically fall. And the longer the maturity, well, the harder the fall. Think of it this way. And again, I'll oversimplify and I'll exaggerate here just to make my point. But if you own a one-year CD paying 1% and suddenly the rates go up and the bank is now selling 2% CDs. Well, how attractive is the one percenter that you're holding? It's not very attractive. If you need to sell it, what do you have to do? Well, you have to lower your price to make it more attractive compared to the two percenter or else I'd just go out and buy the two percent CD. But really, you probably don't care all that much because it's a one year CD and you can hang on for that long. But, but Let's say you bought a 10-year CD at 1% and rates are rising. It's going to affect you a lot more. So here we are. We suspect that we'll get two or three more interest rate increases this year and more next. So what do you think is going to happen to bond prices? Well, I think it goes they go down. And I think this argues for less bonds than you may have owned in the past. But again, everyone's different and you need to focus on your plan. If I were buying bonds, I would keep my maturity short in duration and roll up the yield curve. In other words, as my three-month CD comes due, well, I can just buy the next higher yielding one and on and on and on and on, call it rolling up the yield curve. So To sum it up, you're not paying as much of a penalty as you were for holding cash, but you're still losing purchasing power. If you're getting 1% on cash and inflation is at 2%, well, you can buy 1% less every year, and that may be worth it to hold cash. Stocks are going to be much more volatile, as I said, than they were last year, and fixed income alternatives become more appealing as time goes on because of the rising interest rates. For bonds. As I said, I'd keep my duration short. That's about all the time we have uh, for today. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. Okay. You've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up, It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.